0: Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 214, What is Uniquely Hard and Hopeful for Married People Right Now?
1: I want the answer to that question. (laughs) Yes, guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone, every day. I'm your host, Lori Krieg, and we're coming at you from the very snowy, blizzardy WCSG radio studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I have alongside me my husband and favorite licensed therapist who frolicked in the snow with us this morning, Matt Krieg.
0: Hello. That's
1: pretty fun. It was. It was a good start. And on my other side, uh, I have, we have Steve, who is our friend and the most professional radio voice among us. Producer Steve, how are you doing?
0: Good. Yeah? Good. good to see you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. good to see you, yeah. man. Yeah.
1: Uh, today, we are going to be talking about marriage, which if you guys have been a follower of the show for any amount of time, you know, we hit this conversation last time we talked about singleness. This is something that we're going to keep bringing up because marriage can be hard and it, we also can get in ruts. That was kind of like the thing that I was, as I was processing this conversation, I was like, I feel like the word rut uh, <laughs> is one that we can feel pushing 15 mm-hmm. years married here ourselves. Steve, how long you been married?
0: 31.
1: 31 years. Yep. Uh, so guys, we want to encourage people who are married. And for those of you who are not married, we see you and we're going to hopefully encourage you to encourage us today to get out of those ruts but to help us uh talk about this conversation we have ministry leaders uh and mental health experts tracy johnson and chris bruno you guys welcome
2: good to see you good to be here yeah
3: thank you so much for having us on the show it's good to be here so glad
0: Well, uh, let us get to know Tracy and Chris a little bit better through just a bit of their background. Uh, Tracy is the StoryWorks Supervisor at Restory Counseling and the Founder and Editor-in-Chief of Red Tent Living. She holds a Certificate of Completion from the Allender Center Mm -mm. and Level 1 and 2 Gottman Marriage Training and specializes in trauma intensives for men and women and marriages. Chris is the founder and clinical director of ReStory Counseling and founder and chief visionary of Restoration Project. He specializes in trauma intensives with men and marriages. He holds an MA from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology and an MA in speech communication. That was my BA Uh, from Northwestern University. Uh, Together, they are the founders of the Thrive Marriage Lab, an online community of couples seeking to enrich their marriages and find each other again.
1: Love it. Yeah.
4: Wow. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're going to get into. Um, But right now, we are going to shift a little and ask the question of the week, which is, what is in for 2024 and what is out? Such as self-hatred is out, self-gentleness is in, Mm -hmm. beef milk is out, (laughs) oat milk is in.
1: Beef milk, a.k.a. Cow's milk. Cow's milk, milk.
4: yes. Yes, beef milk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we did not ask the audience this, but we were going to focus in on our new friends, Chris and Tracy. So, Chris, how about we start with you? What's in for 2024? What's out for this year?
3: Well, I can start. I think uh, my wife and I have recently been uh, researching. You mentioned beef milk. Uh, So... (laughs) Uh, we have actually been researching beef liver capsules. So those nice. might be in. I don't do know. Do? Uh, there's there's a whole but Don't ask me more <laughs> about that, please. Just it is a thing that we are researching for like overall vitamins, nutrients, and all those kinds of things. So those might be in. Uh, not taking a supplement like that is maybe out for 2023. That sounds awful. Oh. Awful. <laughs> Thank you. O- yeah, Oful. like I said, yes. don't ask me. Just- <laughs> Wait,
1: what? what?
4: Ophol is like the, the liver and yeah. the, the intestines and all that kind of stuff from cows. Anyway, uh, from- well, <laughs> any animals, actually. But anyway, I digress. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chris.
1: Tracy, save us from Matt's dad jokes. What's in for yeah, you? I- What's I'm
4: out?
2: i sure you... Like- at this point, what is certainly out is beef milk. I'm disgusted by that now. Also out are whatever those pills are that Chris is researching. Hard so, for Tracy. I don't know. Um, my non-reactive answer to that question would be that what is out is uh, is too full of a schedule and what is in is white space for me.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that
4: too. Can you package that and sell it? Yeah. <laughs> Because we need some of that over here.
2: Invite me back in 10 months and I'll tell you how it's gone.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, let's shift to the heart of the matter. Uh, Tracy, we'll start with you and then we'll move to you, Chris. Uh, We ask every guest this. If the gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope how is that gospel first good news for you tracy and how is it still today
2: yeah i it's such an interesting question and um so here here would be what i would say i grew up um in a context where the first part of that message was drilled into me like Mm -hmm. it was not hard for me to understand there wasn't an absence of teaching around my sinfulness at the bible church and the christian school christian university that i went to and and I was really a kid that was wired to achieve, and so I wanted to—I wanted to be good. I wanted to be Christ-like. I, I wanted to behave well, and um, and that kind of set me on a trajectory where I think I had an intellectual understanding of God's love. I can read that—that—that that, that must be true, but that wasn't my felt day-to-day experience as far as the good news, right. right? The good news was I was saved and I and I needed to behave well. Um, as I started my journey of recovery from sexual harm, like in my mid-30s, there was a particular time I was sitting in a seminar and and we were asked to look at a series of pictures of Jesus with little children and pick the one that resonated for us. And, and it was the first time that I was sort of face-to-face With the reality of how I held the gospel because none of those pictures resonated for me. What resonated for me was that I was standing in front of the throne of judgment, accounting for myself. Mm -hmm. And so my journey of recovery became very wrapped in with with what today feels like that good news for me, which is that Jesus didn't come to uh, save me from my humanness. I think he came to restore my humanness mm-hmm. in other words it's okay for me to be human i can be connected to the father and the son and the spirit and i can be embraced and welcomed and and um and and loved in in all of those persons of the trinity and not have to be less human yeah and that i needed that message and and that is still transforming me
1: like i need that every day that's oxygen mm-hmm. um Thank so, you for that. There's yeah. my answer. <laughs> That's beautiful. We'd love to hear uh, the answer to the same question for you, Chris.
3: Well, I grew up in a family uh, also similar to Tracy's where there was that message was drilled in. But, mm-hmm. but one of the kind of atmospheric conditions of the family that uh, I grew up in was that there were people around, but they weren't with me so uh, i have one older sister uh, there's only the two of us in the family and she uh, from birth uh, was mentally and physically uh, disabled pretty Mm -hmm. significantly uh, to the degree that she's still to this day you know she's five years older than me but she operates at about a one to two year old level uh, Mm -hmm. and so the focus of the family that I grew up in was really on her care, her well-being. And then five years later, I show up on the scene. And so, the three, my mom, my dad, and my sister, they were very focused on them. So, I was I was around people, but uh, I no one was with me. And so, for me, I firmly believe that the gospel is a gospel of withness, to be with, mm. that God longs to be with us. Mm-hmm. And, and we long to be with Him. And so, as a as a boy I experienced the the lack of witness and as I grew into my faith came to know more and more and more through other people and through uh, nature and through experiences with God uh, that he longed to be with me. And so that continues just as as Tracy said that there is oxygen in that every day I need to know the witness of God mm-hmm. uh, and I think that even in the marriage conversation that we're about to have like there is witness That is woven into the very fabric of the gospel. It is. It is the fabric of the gospel. Mm. That's what brings me hope. Love it. That's
0: great. Uh, So speaking of uh, the work that you do and this uh, conversation we're going to have, can you just start out, uh, Chris, by telling us like just what is it that you do, um, and like how that places you in the marriage conversation? And uh, Chris, um, after after Chris, Tracy, maybe kind of give your your spin on that as well. Sure. Well,
3: uh, so both Tracy and I work with couples in marriage counseling, uh, and that's individually, that is in some group counseling settings. We mentioned intensives in the intro. So we do that work and have been doing that work for quite a while. Uh, Back in 2020, we launched something called the Thrive Marriage Lab, and that is uh, an online community of people that are looking to enrich their marriage. And so together, Tracy and I guide and lead and teach that. And we coach couples uh, from a place of disconnection into a place of deeper intimacy and connection with one another. Hmm.
2: There you go. I don't know that I can say
1: a whole lot more than that. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: How did you guys connect? How did you two connect?
2: Hmm. I, well, I can answer that. So, uh, Chris's wife, Beth, who is also part of our founding team. It's the three of us for the Thrive Marriage Lab. Beth began writing for Red Tent Living, uh, gosh, probably in two thousand. 14, 15, maybe probably 2015. And that's how I first came in contact with her. And, um, and then a number of years later, she came to a conference that I was doing. It was the first time we were in person with one another. And we really connected and began to talk more about our own stories and kind of how we came to be where we were. And Hmm. from that space, she went home, told Chris about me, (laughs) and that she felt like he and I, um, probably had a pretty similar posture on how we did the work that we were doing. And and so that that's how we met. That's how we connected. And she was
1: right. Cool.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys are, are in this place of working both with crisis as well as taking people into this journey of marriage enrichment. Um, what are some of the unique challenges that you guys have seen in this space in the last couple of years that you didn't see previously? Um, and how are you getting people to move into more of a place of thriving? And Chris, we'll start with you and then we'll, we'll go to Tracy.
3: Yeah, I think that's such a great question. In, in the last couple of years, I feel like where we have seen uh, couples move is into a, into a devolution of trust. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what I mean in that is that people have stepped away from a posture of generosity towards their spouses into a posture of protection. And that's, again a general over, you know, a general statement there, but uh, it feels like over the last couple of years this this feeling of like we are in this relationship together versus we are in this relationship for our own selves. <laughs> I feel like that level of distrust has begun to kind of permeate our culture in general and then it has seeped into Marriages uh, and other relationships too, but uh, but into marriages to the point where it's like I need to be in this for me and uh, more than I am in this for us. And so that lack of generosity towards one another has been a shift, I think, over the last three, four, five years. And uh, you know, COVID had something to do with that. I feel like the general, overall kind of nature of the world in the last several years has had uh, something to do with that. What we understand marriage to be and the marriage covenant to be and the shifts in culture around that. I feel like that has been some of the genesis of what we're seeing in the work that we're doing with couples.
1: Hmm. Wow. Tracy, what would you add to that?
2: Uh, I think I would add um, it, it, in particular, when we think about the couples that we're seeing that come to the Thrive Lab, because the Thrive Lab isn't isn't for couples in crisis, or it's not designed to address acute trauma. The Thrive Lab is is really a space just for sort of the regular run of the mill couple that is experiencing some sort of lack of flourishing in their marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think what, what I have found with the couples that we're working with and it goes, I think dovetails with what Chris was saying was that they are just profoundly disconnected and incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. And I, You know, the Surgeon General's report that came out in May about the greatest, you know, mental health crisis that we're facing as a country is actually tied to loneliness. I think we're seeing the manifestation of that in the couples that that are coming to us. And so you've got that. I'm so lonely. How can I be so lonely in this marriage? I I feel so disconnected from you, and I'm Mm -hmm. not supposed to feel that way. And then you couple that with this sort of, you know, mistrust distrust and you've got the recipe for people living in a in a home together feeling like this is not what marriage is supposed to be but really without tools to try and you know bridge that disconnection um, that is feeling so cute for them
1: Chris, what would you say? Because like, I'm literally married to a mental health therapist. I read books on marriage and stuff all the time. And I was like, oh, I could totally relate to like, it's so easy. Like the rut, the Mm. drifting, like it's so easy to move into your separate corners in the living room on your phone, not engaging. So Chris, can you help us like, if you see that, sort of um, lack of openness and generosity, that sort of loneliness, where do you begin with a couple? Mm -hmm.
3: One of the things that you'll hear us say often is that the Thrive Marriage Lab and what Tracy and I and ReStory is all about is helping couples understand the why behind the what, Hmm. why behind the what. And so there is this aspect of it's not just teaching people some uh, new ways of engaging, giving some tips or techniques of communication, uh, helping them practice some some practical things. Yes, we have some very practical things, but it's not going to come at that top level of just find some new ways to get off your phone, set an alarm to connect, like those kinds of things. The why behind the what is is really looking into the deeper narratives that each of you as an individual bring into the marriage and how how you are when you are sitting on either side of that couch, how are you actually trying to survive the experience of disconnection? Mm-hmm. And you learned how to, how to survive that experience of disconnection in your relationship by some protective measures that that worked for you growing up that are now being embodied again in your relationship. And so as we work with couples, it's it's helping on some of those practical levels, yes, but then getting into the deeper narratives, the stories that each of you bring into, into the present, into the relationship that have continued without being addressed and tended to. Uh, and that is really what we're about is tending to the broken, hurt, lost, wounded narratives that you bring into the relationship uh, and and helping you as a couple connect over mm-hmm. those stories rather than allow those stories to be something that cause disconnection. How can the narratives, the stories bring you closer together when you can find one another in those places uh, rather than allowing them to to keep you on both ends of the couch. Mm. Mm. Uh,
0: so, I've been married a little bit longer than these guys, and uh, you know we have peers. Um, we have seen uh, marriages dissolve. You know, we've seen marriages. There's there's friends we have right now that are roommates at best. You know, there's yeah. a, a, a hostility there, and it's it breaks our hearts and. Uh, so I, I just wonder, like, can you um, speak to, I don't know if there's any kind of like different way that you approach um, a marriage that has gone, you know, more than just a few years uh, in with that rut and uh, is in maybe more of a crisis place. Uh, mm-hmm. it, how How do you... I guess work with th- those couples maybe differently. It, m- it might be a subtle difference. I don't know. Um, they're in that place versus just, you know, kind of like trying to get over a little, like, trying to get over loneliness, but more it's hostility.
2: Yeah. I, so I'll pop in. I, um, I, I think, I think what's important to remember is that, you know, most of the time when we sit with couples, they, even that have have found themselves in that state, it's ne- rarely does somebody say, you know what? I just, I really just can't stand you. I hate you. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. Right? Generally, what we hear is like, I feel so disconnected. I- I'm not sure you still care about me. Mm. I-, I don't know what we're doing anymore. You know? Mm. And and I think at the at the core of that is that we we want to be known. We feel lonely because we don't feel known and we get into these ruts because if all we're connecting over is sort of what's up here on the surface because it's all we know it's the only way we know how to connect well then you know as life evolves and kids leave the house or jobs change or preferences change, then the things that we're sort of connecting over can begin to feel like, well, we're not matching up. I don't, you don't like the same things that I like anymore. You've changed your thoughts about this. We want to get to something deeper than that because you really want to be known at a deeper level. What we find is that for all the years that couples have been married, there are these parts, these critical parts to their stories, to the things that have that have shaped them and formed them that they that they have not explored for themselves and that they haven't ever shared with one another. And those stories and the way they survive those stories are driving their disconnection. They're driving their survival strategies. So when we can when we can sit with a couple and uh, and create enough safety that allows them to sort of go into those individual narratives for themselves. And then they can find themselves sharing those with one another. We open the gateway to empathy and compassion and to that sense of withness that's got depth to it, um, that, that is what we're longing for. It, you know, it doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes there's just been too much hurt too many years of disconnection and and we can't seem to sort of bridge that gap but I would say the majority of the time the majority of the time our experience is that couples that come in here thinking for like a trauma intensive with us they come in thinking they're not going to make it and they're shocked by how they leave Hmm.
1: Hmm. Well, that's encouraging (laughs)
4: So you, you have people who may come in with that mindset of we're we're not going to make it. They don't have much hope. Um, and then they get that hope over the course of the intensive, um, you know, and you said like, we, we really want, we long to be known, not just in our marriages, but, but especially in our marriages. Um, and I, I feel like, a lot of what I see, there's there's people who who maybe learn the communication skills. They learn um, to to be able to kind of connect at a at a deeper level. Um, but but part of the process, at least for me, is always like okay, to be known and enjoyed. Like how do you how do you then turn that knowing into like a, a an expression of enjoyment within the marriage? And and I think of play, which is something that like as adults, we're typically not very good at. I know I'm not super good at it. I'm good at a project, but just like being present and playing is not easy. Um and, and so I guess in your marriage work, how have you seen and cultivated kind of that sense of we get to enjoy one another here as well, not just like know and tolerate mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm.
3: It's interesting. I mean, just this month in the Thrive Marriage Lab, we are teaching about play as a marital narrative <laughs> and, and how important it is in a marriage to be able to, just like you said, delight and play with one another and enjoy one another. Uh, I feel like we cannot enjoy or delight in our spouse truly unless we actually have a sense of who they are. Who did God make them to be? When we think about, you know, when God thought up your spouse, I love how Ephesians talks about this, that 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 we are the handiwork of God and that, or that original word for handiwork is, you know, translated as handiwork, ma- masterpiece, craftsmanship. The original Greek word is poema, which is where we get our word for poetry. Hmm. And so, when we think about our spouse as the poetry of God, can we begin to be a student, uh, of their stories, of the poetry, of the 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 rhymings and the rhythms and the the kind of uh, flow of who they are and how they how they were meant to image forth the, the glory and presence of God. If we can get to know those parts of our spouse, then of course, we're going to come to a deeper sense of delight in them and uh, play requires a level of risk. It requires a level of vulnerability Mm -hmm. uh, and it requires some aspect of like, I'm going to give up some aspect of like the adult space and allow myself to sink into my child inside of me uh, in order to play with you. So we will be silly. We will laugh. We will have imagination. We will uh, go out into the world of wilderness and nature and, and, ice skating and bol- or whatever it is that is inviting us to that childlikeness. And I love how Christ even invites us to become like a child in order to participate in the kingdom. How is that no different in our marriages? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't get to that spot of delight and play with one another if, as we were talking earlier, we have walls of hostility and surviving one another and self-protective measures that are in place. So uh, we need to get to the place of delight. I think all of us want to delight in our spouse and be delighted in, in our marriages. And we can't get to that without first doing some of this really critical work. Uh, And at the same time, I think the keys to open some of the doors to uh, more knowing and being known is dating one another, having experiences that are that are intentionally designed to bring us to a place of let me hear more about you, uh, you, let me tell you more about me uh, and and have that story connection so that we can delight in one another.
2: Mm. Yeah, and, I, and I think in, in that, I think one of the things that couples start to bump up against is that they they feel like, well, there's nothing new here. Right. That's that rut that you're describing. And I think about ruts like cul-de-sacs and we're just riding around in the same (laughs) cul-de-sac because it's familiar and it's safe and it's known. And my trike works really well in the Mm. cul-de-sac. But but the reality is that, like, you are always becoming. Yeah, you are always becoming. Your spouse is always becoming. I I think about like Jesus is always doing a new thing. Always. Mm -hmm. And so something new is always happening inside your spouse and inside of you. I think we forget that. And so that I think that's part of what what we are aiming to do for couples is to both remind them that they don't actually know everything about one another and they don't actually know exactly what their spouse is going to say next. You know, yeah. and often we fight like couples in crisis come in and they, they are finishing one another's sentences negatively.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Because they just know, I know this is what he's thinking. I know this is what she's going to say. I know this is what she wants. It's like, but actually you don't. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that speaks, don't. that speaks to the cultural distrust that has yes. permeated marriages. Yes. Can you, Chris, speak to risk like i'm just i mean we're thinking like we've got a pretty healthy marriage matt at this point but like i even think about what you guys are saying about play and you know inviting and to date night or whatever like i still could get intimidated 15 years in where i'm like oh but matt's gonna say or he's not gonna like this and then i'm like just do it or i have to Mm -hmm. pray my way there can you speak to risking in marriage
3: i think it's you know, we started with, we are, we are too sinful. We're more sinful than we even believe. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that is that uh, it is far riskier for us to be loved than it is for us to be hated. Mm. Mm. And I think that's yeah. what you're talking about here uh-huh. is that if yeah. you risk showing up in that date night in a playful way, what will happen to you and your internal understanding of yourself as a child of God and all that, what will happen to you if you you actually are loved by your husband rather than discarded or missed by your husband? Because we're gonna assume, we live in this broken and fallen world, we're gonna assume that when I risk, I will be missed. Hmm. But what if we begin to build some of the trust of when I risk, maybe I will be seen. Maybe I will be known. Maybe I will be enjoyed. What if that narrative begins to shift and change, uh, and now I can go like, "Oh, it is actually like water to my soul that my spouse is enjoying me in this mo- moment," and it's it's shifting the narrative of how I have come to understand myself in the world. That I think is is risk, and and one of the things that that we have as a resource to people is we've put together uh these uh, a year of good dates which is a free resource that people can sign up for and uh they are they are dates that are designed to bring you into uh, a place of story sharing and play with one another Uh, because i think you know you just go out for dinner and go to the movie and you kind of have one of those cul-de-sac dates of like hey we, we talk about the kids or we talk about the finances or we you know we we don't have anything to talk about uh, and maybe there's nothing more to discover about your spouse, as, as we might assume, but the reality is that prompted, you will have more stories to share and more experiences of those stories to share with your spouse. And come to a place of like, what if he or she actually delights in me as I share these things, as we play in these ways. Um, so that is something that uh, as far as risk, I think it's required in in marriage to make the kind of steps. And we get into the cul-de-sacs because we've actually stopped risking. Hmm.
4: Ooh. So uh, just curious question here, because um, you have this year of good dates. Like, is this something that single people could also use to to deepen deepen friendship connection? Or is it something that is more geared toward the romantic type of relationship?
3: Well, I think I, it's a great question. Uh, it is geared towards couples because it's coming out of the Thrive Marriage Lab mm-hmm. space. Uh, but I love that idea. And absolutely, if they can, mm-hmm. you know, in it we list spouse one and spouse two. But, so if you can get kind of past some of the languaging of it, and invite, you know, friends and friendships or even, you know, dating relationships into <laughs> into that, premarital relationships into mm. that. What what a great like foundation to start with.
0: Yeah. Uh so I'm I was thinking similar to kind of maybe building on that. Um how can how can we as the church kind of help with some of these principles, help one another? And I don't mean like pastors or church ministry programs. I mean like the beautiful, diverse body of Christ. How can we help one another, uh, in, in our marriages and maybe even single people being involved in that often. I I know that, um, for, uh, people of my age uh we tend to have this mindset of as a married couple we need to um i don't know in some way exhort or encourage our single friends but it also goes the other way you know how can the beautiful diverse body of christ help us as married people through what you're talking about kind of put you on the Mm -hmm. spot but uh what do you think i you know i think i
2: think that one of the most helpful things is uh, is setting aside your help. <laughs> like you're fixing and your're mm. advice giving and you're like that that I think is is that that fuels disconnection and a sense of unknowing, like nothing else in the church. and and so I think we're quick to, you know, offer a program or suggest a book or, you know, let me just pray for you or, you know, but remember God loves you. Just all, all of those kinds of things that just drive that sense of isolation and loneliness. Yeah. One, of the, uh, one of the key things that, that we talk about in like that forming of healthier relationship is tied to, and Chris, you should talk about this, but aware, a posture of awareness and curiosity and kindness. And, and I would say, I think that would be one of the greatest tools, just but you know, like as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, if we could start engaging in our relational interactions, like, what are you aware of? Like, what are you noticing in the other person? And then being curious about it. Tell me more about that. Mm. And then having a kind response to that, that it's just, that it's moving towards them to be with them, not to fix them. (laughs) I say at the end of the day, we're so uncomfortable with our own uncomfortable emotions that, that we can't be with anybody else in
1: their uncomfortable emotions.
0: That's it. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. I'll
1: never forget my friend Courtney shout out when we were going through our marriage hell, uh, she's single never married and I would tell her what was going on and she would just say oh I'm so sorry yeah that I, like it still sticks with me it's however many years later it's five six years later just the like withness and I and every time we talk and catch up I'm like so I'm still here still in pain mm-hmm. and she was like oh I'm so sorry I'm gonna be praying there's power in just being with.
2: Yeah, and even the courage, the risk, I mean, back to, like, risk to, to say, tell me more.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep.
2: Tell me more about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So if, if there's a couple that you're thinking of or if, if there are multiple couples you're thinking of that are in a spot maybe where they just need some hope, um. Is there something that you, um, Tracy, and then we'll move to Chris, can offer just as a, a piece of hope that maybe they can hold on to? Hmm.
2: I mean, I, I'll start. I'll say, you know, I really believe what Chris said, which is that hope is, hope is about risk. Hope has movement to it. And so, I, you know, the, the hardest thing to do when you're feeling stuck is to do something that feels risky and i often tell people you know if, if you're not feeling like a fool it's probably not hope so if you're feeling stuck and you're you're in whatever that rut is and it just feels kind of hopeless you know what would risk look like just mm-hmm. the smallest risk for you this the smallest risk might be to look at your spouse and say hey What do you say we leave here and go to Starbucks and order something we've never ordered before and talk about whether we like it or don't like it? Hmm. Like that just that is that is a small movement out of the cul-de-sac, but it feels risky. Right. So I think I would tell couples you don't need to do something big to get out of the rut. You just need to do something small. The smallest risk be the beginning that that change is the trajectory out of the cul-de-sac and and there's probably more beyond that but what i'm hearing you say is like for couples that just like give me a little something i could do today yeah
3: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that's good
3: and i would i would say as well that we were designed by god for connection we were designed by God for connection, and when you step into understanding, even how the human brain is formed, how our neurological pathways, our bodies are formed, our identity is formed, it is in the context of relationship, which should not be a surprise hmm. to us, because we were we were created by a relational God, a God in relationship. Uh, let us, the Trinity, make humanity. So. So we were designed for connection. And so if there's a couple that is experiencing a, a level of hopelessness, I think the first thing I would say is let us remember that we were actually designed for connection and not designed for disconnection. Let's remember that first. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, when it comes to the aspect of hope, we, we find ourselves in those cul-de-sacs or with even that higher level of hostility because we have accepted and settled for a narrative in our relationship, that is a narrative of disconnection. Yeah. I guess this is just how it's going to be. He mm-hmm. will never know me. She will never see me. Whatever, like there is a settling kind of this uh, abdication of responsibility in the marriage to go like, well, here we are. This is just how it is. And I feel like when we, when we remember that we were designed for connection, hope is actually a defiance against... <laughs> that narrative, a defiance that, no, I was not designed for disconnection. We were not designed for, we were designed for connection. Mm -hmm. So let us take some of those risks. Let us actually defy the false narrative and step back into the true narrative that this is how Jesus made us. And he Mm -hmm. gave us one another to find one another here. Let's defy that narrative Mm and, and, and move more into and take the risks and go to Starbucks and get something <laughs> ever ordered before, hmm. because there is something far more at stake here than just uh, another night where we're sitting on the couch, looking at our phones. Mm-hmm.
1: Preach Chris. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Man, guys, thank you so much. Uh, Clearly, you are a bottomless well of wisdom (laughs) together. And I can see, um, Chris, why your wife connected the two of you in order to advance the kingdom in this space. Uh, So we will link to your Thrive Marriage Lab, to uh, the Good Dates link, which could also be used in friendship and premarital work and dating. Uh, But just thank you for sharing really encouraging us. I felt myself being like wanting to just touch Matt, which I'm not a touch person and give him a little hug. I'm I'm going to
0: call my wife as soon as we're done here and similar. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: thank you so much for sharing and uh, encouraging us today.
3: Absolutely. It's great to be with you. Yes.
1: All right. We'll be in touch. Man, that was a great conversation. We're going to send them off onto uh, their next things, and we're going to reflect together. (laughs) So what did you guys think? Steve, you want to start? What stood out to you from the convo?
0: I I really think the first thing that really uh, struck me was when they were talking about um, just, I guess, giving credence to our stories um, and our ways of coping with our stories, (sighs) you know, so our past, and then our present situation that's kind of shaped as a reaction or a response to our past and um and knowing that about each other and then you you know having empathy in that i feel like i'm um i'm just feeling strongly right now with and i'm gonna stereotype but guys my age Mm -hmm. middle-aged guys who kind of have this like doesn't matter doesn't matter it's you know like they just live in denial the past past is the past don't matter living in denial of the story and um so just are not willing to go there and i think a lot of wives kind of want to have empathy for that and again i'm generalizing i shouldn't do that Uh, but i just see it yeah um and i I sometimes i'm guilty of it myself Mm -hmm. and so i just i don't know like i just want us to acknowledge that and like maybe more importantly, but maybe not, I don't know, maybe equally importantly acknowledge how we're, um, coping with it in unhealthy ways. Yeah. Uh, and just like acknowledge it just, and, and then have that empathy for one another. I feel like a lot of couples could really, um, be helped by that.
1: I love that, Steve. And you are a good model of that. You say you've done the hard work and are, I'm sure still doing the hard yeah. work of saying, no, no, My past does affect my present. I'm going to be real about that. Let's work on today Mm -hmm. so the future can be different. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Matt, what would you add?
4: Yeah, I really liked when we were talking about play and how they said, yeah, play is risky and Uh it causes us to have to kind of go back into this childlike state which is also something that that God has called us into um just in relationship with him to be childlike and um that is something I'm not super good at
1: at um, risk at, at our play
4: at childlikeness
1: I feel like you're super good at that
4: <laughs> some some <laughs> yeah. in some ways and sometimes but I feel like it's it's an effort mm-hmm. to like yeah if I've got a ball and I'm throwing it back and forth whatever that's that's fine that's easy but like to actually like relationally interact and emotionally interact as a child, I, I feel like is is very, very difficult. I can do stupid stuff, don't worry about that. Like <laughs> the activity itself is easy. Um
1: but to have your heart yeah. in a risky playful state mm-hmm. is hard for you.
4: It's difficult.
1: I relate to that. Mm. Gwen, our oldest, told me this week she's like, saw me being goofy with our youngest son, who's four. And she was like, We don't always see your goofy self, mom. And I was like, Ugh. She's right. It is risky. And I think that's my takeaway, too, is again, to restate what we just said, is I'll look at Matt on the couch and I'll think, maybe we should do something. We should not do exactly what we're doing, just sitting here on our phones, right? <laughs> And that gets scared. And like, what's Matt gonna do? I don't know. But that's like where Chris was talking about the enemy, the real enemy that we have, whose desire is to steal, kill, destroy, divide. And so the risk of getting some random drink at Starbucks or doing something silly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you're welcome to email us at podcast.lauricrieg.com. Find us on the Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook page. That's right. We're on Facebook still. <laughs> uh, but if you look for Hole in My Heart, you got to answer a couple questions, and we'll let you into the group. Uh, about 500-plus strong at this point. And you can also email me, well, message me on Instagram. Just find me, Lori Krieg. But we do. Have a question of the week where we will ask it on the Facebook and the Instagram. What was your childhood favorite cereal? Your favorite cereal as a kid, what was it? I'm going to go with Captain Crunch. The kind, the like little circle peanut butter balls, I don't even know if they make them anymore, that rip your mouth up so mm-hmm. good. It hurts so bad, but it hurt, <laughs> tastes so good.
0: <laughs> what about you, Steve? Uh, I've got I've got a few different categories, so it's hard to like narrow it down to one. I'm going to say Lucky Charms.
1: Oh, yeah. Just the marshmallows like our kids or <laughs> well, all of it?
0: No, back in those days, that wasn't an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to finish the whole thing, yeah, but yeah. The, the marshmallows were what made it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Matt.
4: Yeah, I would say Cocoa Pebbles, about three bowls in when the milk is super (laughs) chocolatey. Three (laughs)
1: bowls in. Oh, yeah you lived a very different <laughs> life than me guys.
0: killing the whole box in one shot <laughs> Yup, <Yeah. laughs> <Yep. laughs> no wash question it,
1: wash it down with a hershey's bar and milkshake <laughs> guys we want to hear from you what's your favorite childhood cereal uh you again can find us on all the socials thank you though again to tracy johnson and chris bruno for joining us today big thank you to wcsg for hosting us in the Zach of all trades for being the Zach of all trades and his intern Delaney, who is also awesome for all of us here at the hole my heart podcast. We'll see you next time.